You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. With the Federal Reserve potentially raising rates aggressively this year to curb inflation, should we be concerned about a possible recession? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. As we know, when the Fed decides to raise rates, it's usually to slow down a booming economy. But just how slow will it go? And what does it mean for investors? I thought it would be helpful to get some insight from someone with history in the markets. Gary Alexander has been senior writer at Novelier since 2009, where he uses market history to support the case for growth stocks and real estate, especially in an inflationary environment. So Gary, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. I'm a big fan of, of Louis Novelier, and, and I know that you're a blog writer for him. Yes, I have been for the last uh, 13 or 14 years now, and I've worked with Louis uh, 25 plus years, yeah. Yeah, so in your investment career, have you ever seen a market quite like this one, or is it just uh, is this something <laughs> unprecedented? Well, I've really seen just about everything, but the volume and amplitude of this market are unprecedented in the sense that the trillions... Uh, are in our vocabulary now, and it used to be hundreds of billions, and before that, billions. So it's the size of the market moves now that are, that are unprecedented. Uh, I remember 40 years ago, I wrote my uh, first economics book when we passed one trillion in national debt. Now it's 30 trillion. So uh, the numbers are just a whole lot bigger. I thought one trillion was a big deal back then. And I thought it was, and I still think it was, but 30 trillion is a, is a much bigger deal. So no, I haven't seen anything quite like this, but we have seen greater inflation. Yes, we have. And the world has seen much greater inflation historically than what America has ever seen. So nothing is really in, unprecedented except the hugeness of the numbers. Okay. Uh, so with, you know, the Debt. People are talking about bubbles, and it seems that the debt bubble is the biggest one. Uh, but uh, nobody seems to really know how to what to do with it. Right. the The debt bubble is huge, and also the asset bubble is even larger. So that the net wealth of America is still growing, and you subtract the debt from the assets, and the the net uh, wealth of America is still growing. And so that is an encouraging fact. And you know in real estate that real estate wealth is growing, stock market wealth is growing. And the question is, is it real wealth? Uh, because the Fed infused our system with approximately $6 trillion in wealth over the last two years. Now that devalues the well, the value of each dollar when they multiply the, the money so rapidly. Uh, in in America, they sent out checks to about 80% of Americans, many people who didn't ask for it didn't need it, they got it anyway, all my children got it, they were gainfully employed and doing well. So, you know, I didn't get one. So I'm not complaining, I didn't need it. But you know, a lot of people who didn't need it, got it. And this uh, helped bid up all real estate prices almost in uh, across America. Uh, Bitcoin exploded. Um, America's commodities uh, rose and the stock market, you just name it. And in fact, um, people got into stocks that had never been in stocks before, and they just signed over their $600 or $1,200 uh, bonus or you know relief check, stimulus check, right into a new brokerage account. And that's what bid up a lot of the stock market values over the last two years. 
Well, with all that money circulating, will it fizzle out? Will it land somewhere or continue to circulate no, and, and drive up bubbles? It's continually landing. The good news is for stock market investors, it's not really leaving the stock market. It's just circulating into different sectors. For two years, tech was the big leader and it was just carrying NASDAQ was the big leader. And that has not been true the last four to six months. So we have defensive stocks being the leader now, more like the real estate, the utilities. In that area, people are looking more for safety and income. In other words, they're tentative about the idea of investing in stocks right now. They're a little nervous about the stock market. Mm, should they be? Um, I believe so, because we've doubled from our lows of two years ago. And believe me, when you've doubled in two years, you just have to take a pause that refreshes now and again. You know, markets don't climb to the sky. Trees, I'm in an evergreen forest here. They don't climb to the sky forever and ever. You know, they, they, they stop and pause at a, at a certain point. And yeah, you should be careful in any market, really. Yeah, we were trying to define a, bu a bubble the other day. And I said, you know, I, I think the Fed had said, you know, we're looking at a, a bubble. Oh, did you, or Forbes, or do you remember that? There was a comment that we're in a bubble. Right. But if you're in a bubble in so many markets at once, you're not really in a bubble in any particular market. You're in what I might call an asset inflation bubble or a monetary bubble. Uh, so if Bitcoin's a rising real estate and stocks and all that, it's not a specific bubble. Uh, mm -hmm. Japanese stocks 30 years ago were a bubble. Um, NASDAQ in 1999 was a bubble. But those were specific stocks when uh, other things were not in a bubble. Right now, we have so many things rising at once that I can't point to any one particular investment that is a specific bubble amidst normal investing environment elsewhere. Yeah, we were trying to define what a bubble is anymore. And I had said, you know, I mean, I kind of see it as a bubble, certain markets like Boise, Idaho, where home prices went up 50%. I call that a bubble, but maybe one that won't pop. Is that possible? Perhaps so. And you're in the real estate market. You don't know that better. The uh, the Case-Shiller Index apparently has Phoenix uh, metropolitan market up the number one market in America for like 30 months in a row. I don't know if that's a bubble or not. If it grows 32% a year and it's got uh, more than a million people, I don't know if that can keep growing at that amount. I know Seattle and Portland prices are big where I, around where I live. And the little island where I live, you just can't find any property. It's, it's just going up so rapidly. I tend to think that's a bubble. If, if some of my family or friends want to buy here, I just wonder if they should now because the, the land is growing so quickly and it's so rare that something even comes on the market. People bid above the asking price. You know the whole story there. Yeah. That sounds like a bubble to me. Yeah, I guess the question is, can uh, can the bubble sustain itself? Or It could for a while, but you never know, because when you're inside a bubble, it doesn't feel like a bubble. Bubbles <laughs> are, are in the rearview mirror, and they all look kind of the same in the rearview mirror, like five-fold gains in two years or triple in one year. They seem to have that kind of an arc. Yeah, yeah. The question is, you know, would, price, would, would those asset values come down, or does... Does the world just catch up to the prices at some point? And like you said, if nobody's selling um, right. and if people are locked into low rates or paid cash, maybe it's not a bubble. Maybe it's just higher prices and inflation. Right. Exactly. You, you, yeah. you don't know when you're in it and you can sell too soon, which is really preferable to selling about a month too late because uh, prices fall a lot faster than they rise when they start falling.
Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, oil, let's talk about oil. We know that, uh, prices have gone up very dramatically and yet the U S is, uh, is it really only is about 4% of Russian oil. So why are we being so affected? Uh, good question. Um, I know that, uh, you don't want to get too political, but there was a change of presidency a year and a half ago and they had a green agenda and they didn't want to have pipelines and they didn't want to have fracking and uh, a lot of uh, fossil fuels. And they were very concerned about climate change. And so they went uh, not entirely all in in poker terms, but mostly in on the, the green agenda and uh, shut down uh, some pipeline supplies. So we had a freeze in Texas in uh, February of 2021. And, and we're gonna have uh, similar freezes in, in future winters. And, and uh, there simply isn't enough supplies supply available reliably so in solar, uh, wind and others. And Europe went all in, uh, unlike America. And they uh, went all in foolishly because Russia is their supplier. And so we are not uh, beholden on Russia, except on the West Coast, we have a little bit more reliance on Russia than do on the East Coast, but uh, not, not enough to worry about. We were energy self-sufficient about three or four years ago. We are not so now, so we need uh, some import. And it's much better in many fields to take that uh, new supply from North American sources, Canada and the United States and Mexico than it is to uh, go begging on, on our uh, uh, not so kind uh, energy suppliers from other continents. And if not Russia, the others aren't so palatable either, such as Venezuela uh, or Saudi Arabia um, and other sources that, you know, they aren't really democratic friends either. So that's why we're short of supply and that's why the prices are going up what are the chances that we can get back to being energy uh, self-sufficient again well it doesn't seem politically viable right now except uh, every congress uh, person goes before the voters in november everybody from the house of representatives and uh, people don't like the price at the pump and they might have to vote their pocketbook and uh, the construction of the Congress might be different come November, in which case there would be more uh, friendly legislation toward uh, the pipeline, XL pipeline and others, and for North American fossil fuel production. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had read that also part of the problem is that so many investors lost their shirts. Uh, what was that in 2015? Uh, lots of investment in North Dakota for sure. And I think parts of Texas, and then they lost it, you know, oh, so yeah. that they're scared to go back in and, and reinvest. Energy is cyclical. And I don't know if you remember one magic day in May of 2020, the futures uh, trading pit in oil went below zero. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it was minus $10 or so for a barrel of oil. And that's theoretically so, and they had to close the exchange, of course, that's, uh, that's absolutely definition of crazy. But uh, from there, it went to over $130 just a few weeks ago. So that's the nature of oil. And 2008, it went above 150. I don't know if you recall that. That's just wow. 14 years ago. 
So do you think that investors would want to come back in and reinvest in, in a, an American oil reserves or? Well, oil energy production? is already a very strong sector in, in the stock market so far this year because of that particular, um, you know, anticipation that America is going to get back into the fossil fuel business and that really had no choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, there are some people who believe that we are fighting commodity wars now. It's that wars are fought differently. Would you say that that's what we're seeing in this Russian-Ukrainian war, that it's it's being treated differently than, than wars of the past? Oh, yes. It, it's commodity definitely. And, and across the front, you guys, we have strategic minerals, not just oil, but, um, you know, Russia and, and China over there, can't forget them, control a lot of the rare earth minerals. And uh, Russia controls like the majority of the palladium and a small amount, 10 or 15% of the platinum uh, required in catalytic converters, for instance, and solar panels. And uh, then you get to agriculture, uh, Ukraine and Russia combined are, are breadbasket for something like 30% of the exports of the grains, uh, wheat and corn and so forth. And so someone has calculated if we only go on a diet, this is the year to do it, there's going to be 13% fewer calories uh, created on Earth because of not only this uh, conflict in Russia and, and uh, Ukraine, but other crops aren't coming in as expected. So the prices are going up. That doesn't mean, uh, you know, so it's going to be a good year high. to go on a diet. That is a very good way to look at it. They're high just cost 13% for agriculture, less. commodities, as well as metals and oil. I think Americans can afford to eat less, 13% <laughs> yes, less. Yeah. Um, are there foods that are less? Uh, volatile uh, uh, food groups that I uh, like local greens, for example, should we be eating lettuce? Oh, uh, yes, definitely. Greens are, are healthy. Uh, everyone tells me that. <laughs> and uh, the, the prices don't seem to be as affected uh, as, as what I when I go through the uh, the grocery list. But as I go down the commodity list, almost everything seems to be up double digits over the last year in the food category. There are a few exceptions, of course, but uh, you know, the old uh, game is substitution. When one goes up too high, you, you substitute. And that's mm -hmm. always been the game. And in inflation, if, if um, say, beef prices go up, go to chicken. If chicken goes up, go to eggs. If, yeah, whatever it is. You just switch it over to the one that's not going up so fast. And it's mm -hmm. like picking the, the, uh, the, the slowest, uh, fastest lane in the highway or the uh, shortest lane in the grocery <laughs> store you just keep trying to outguess the supply demand equation wherever you are <laughs> all right so let's let's look at inflation do you think um obviously we're seeing inflation because of the pandemic and many factories were shut down and it's hard to get things back up and running and then all of a sudden when uh humans got to go back outside again they wanted to it's a party, right? They they want to spend their money, but the, the product just wasn't there and up and running. I mean, do you think that is part of the reason for inflation? Oh, yeah, that, that's part of the reason. I think monetary expansion is the majority of the reason, all that new money. But when combined with the fact that people had not as many places to spend it for about a year, in other words, not as much travel, 
uh, not as much eating out. There weren't that many restaurants open. All the kind of expensive extras you would do in life weren't available for about a year in the lockdown area. So people weren't spending as much. Savings rate went up in 2020, and then we started spending it in 2021, and that's when the inflation started. And, and the Fed said it was transitory all year long from February to November last year. They said it was transitory. Well, that's a word that's subject to definitions. Do you mean for 10 months or 10 years is it transitory? <laughs> and so they've quit using that word. And uh, a lot of us who, I mean, I interviewed Milton Friedman in three long interviews in his lifetime and in conferences and in private interviews. And, and I have believed basically that he is right, that, that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. And, if, and that is the main force of this inflation. But this particular COVID um, problem has made it worse. And also the fact that we relied way too much on China for, for everything in our life, from the medicines in our cabinet to our um, car parts to anything you want to name, look, look underneath, made in China. Uh, and we have relied on them way too much so that when they have a nice, um, uh, they have a problem dealing with us, we don't have as many goods. And when they have a resurrection of a COVID bug in Shanghai, all of a sudden their workers in the Shanghai region are not working. And all of a sudden there's a holdup on goods once again. Yeah, well, we've certainly, that has come to light in 2020, 2021, and now 2022, yeah. this over-reliance on uh, imports, on, on uh, having our stuff made in areas where it could be made cheaper. And that's that's really what it is, right? That's what kept things cheap, is going to where labor wasn't as expensive like China. But now we're realizing that dependence is... is uh, not really necessarily a safe place to be, especially when you need medicine, right? That was a big. Right. That was one of the key elements. Yeah, that was a big, big deal. Uh, so, if then we need to bring those jobs back and we pay people more here, we're going to see more inflation, right? Right. Wage, wage inflation is now finally catching up, and wage inflation is sticky. It's not one of those things that goes up and down. It goes up and stays up and keeps rising because people, once they take a pay increase, they don't give it back. Unlike mm -hmm. say the price of oil goes up and down, price of chicken goes up and down. Well, wage prices go up, then up, then up, then mm -hmm. up, you know, yeah. then come back down. So yeah, that will continue to, uh, to fuel the, uh, the kind of wage price spiral. Mm -hmm. So inflation is in our future. Uh, it is, but it will, not be this sharp, this high forever. It will, in, in fact, I think it will come down to a more livable um, number under 5% by the end of this year. This is not, it's transitory a lot longer than the Fed expected, but it won't, it won't continue once we solve this supply problem and once the Fed stops printing new money, which they've already started doing, and they raise interest rates. In other words, it will the tools that they're using now to try to, to reduce inflation will work, not as fast as they want, but it will work to bring inflation back, say, under 5% by the end of this year. You know, if your job is to control inflation, it seems like the, the Fed really messed up on that one. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
how, if that's your job and you're, you, this is what you focus on and study, you know, what's going on? I, I, someone yeah. like me, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I don't even have a degree in, in economics, but I could see that a, a mile away. You print that much money, it's going to devalue the currency and, and you, you have inflation. It's obvious. So what's yeah. going on? Why, why could the Fed not see that? Or were they just lying? Yeah, well, you're you're onto something really. There, I don't have a degree in economics either, and you know what? There are over 400 PhD economists at the Fed, and they all study with the same professors at Yale and Harvard and in the top schools and the same textbooks. And they denigrate Milton Friedman. They denigrate the the monetarist school, and they operate in econometric models. And I'm no fan of those. Uh, they just have, there are too many um, variables in this world. You cannot create a model that can predict the weather a year from now or the economy two years from now. But every economic model is projecting the deficits 10 years from now or the economy five years from now. And they, they're all bogus. You cannot do that. The, the human choice, the human action of 7 billion people will disallow that. People always make choices in the moment and that models cannot predict that. So people acting in a real world do things economists are not envisioning. Economics to me is a human science, not a mathematical science. It's what people do. And Ludwig von Mises of the Austrian school wrote a book called Human Action, a huge thousand page tome, it's hard to read, but it's more accurate about economics than all of these um, econometric books that these PhDs are studying. So it really is about what people do. So I think I've got a leg up on what they're studying by seeing what people do with their choices every day. Yeah, well, it, it is just concerning, again, if that's their job is to control inflation and if inflation's out of control and now the brakes are coming on, are they gonna mess that up too? And send us into a recession with yeah, too that's, that's fast the fine of a trick. It's a very fine line because it's very easy to print six trillion dollars of cash, and it's very hard to rein it all in and and stop it without having a hard landing. Soft landings are very difficult. Soft landing defined as stopping inflation without a recession. That's very hard and has seldom been done in history. Usually it, it causes a hard landing. They have to walk a very thin tightrope to bring us back down to livable inflation without a recession. And I'd be interested to see if they can do it. They were so cocky last year saying, oh, we have the tools, we can do it. If inflation surfaces, if they said, they didn't think it would. If inflation surfaces, we have the tools to bring it back down. I got so angry when they said that. I wrote a column. I said, inflation is coming soon and they, they don't know anything about it and it's going to hit us hard and they won't know what to do with it. I was so angry. It was the San Francisco uh, Fed uh, president who said that. And um, they're mostly younger than me. And I may, I just wonder if they haven't experienced some of the past inflation, <laughs> you know, that the Fed screwed up so badly in, say, the 1970s when the uh, um, uh, they had uh, monetary printing presses going so heavily in that decade. Well, I just wonder maybe if it's a, a new theory that really hasn't been tested, this modern monetary theory that uh, that <laughs> helicopter Ben Bernanke had yeah. uh, said would just throw uh, money out of a helicopter if we need to yeah. um, to get things back. So maybe it's just a new policy, a new theory that, hey, we've printed money. 
in the past seems to work. We'll just keep doing that. Um, that's how we'll solve all these issues. It doesn't it seem like that's that's the well, solution. It, it, that's it really has been tested in the past, just not in a big nation like America in the 21st century. It's tested in, in Germany, in Weimar, Germany, 100 years ago. And they had runaway wheelbarrow money inflation in, in Germany in 1923. After World War II, even worse inflation in 1946 all throughout uh, Europe, especially Hungary down in the um, southeastern um, European countries. And um, there's been terrible um, monetary inflation throughout the 20th century. So it has been tried. It just hasn't been tried in America in this volume. And maybe not, uh, it hasn't been successful in the past where it no, has been it, tried. No. Yeah. Okay, well, where does that leave us? I mean, I know my listeners are buying real estate because it's a hard asset that inflates and in an inflationary economy, it's a, it's a, it's a good choice. But in a deflationary one, uh, you know, not so much. But we do know that there's a real lack of housing right out there that compared to demand today. But the, the Fed is trying to kill that demand. <laughs> so then what? Well, I keep these right in front of my computer. I don't know if you can see this. It's a $2 <laughs> bill with an ounce of gold and an ounce of silver. Uh, they're going up, not hugely rapidly, but I, I have about a 10% position. I don't believe people should have a much more than that in gold and silver. Uh, and in 1965, when I was in college, LBJ took the silver out of coinage and all of a sudden the coins pre-1965 of silver were worth more. And in 1971, um, you know, gold was, Nixon took gold off uh, the dollar off gold completely. It had been mostly off gold since 1934. And uh, we were allowed to own it only after it went up to $200 an ounce. So we missed most of the gain, but you know, gold has gone up quite a bit in the last uh, 50 years since that happened. So, um, you know, they, they are your option to currency. They don't compete with real estate. They don't really even compete with stocks, but gold and silver compete with paper currencies. But the government can mess with that. Again, they can take your gold. They have in the past. They did try to confiscate gold. A lot of people secretly kept it. Mm -hmm. You'll never know how many. But I don't think they'll be able to take the gold again. We have, we're too informed now. Um, mm. pe people were more obedient, I believe, to their government in the 30s than they would be now. I don't believe they would fall for that. Just imagine, you know, Americans, uh, as obstinate as they can be, being asked to give up all their guns and their gold. Do you think they would do it? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I bet they wouldn't. Okay. Well, that, that gives some <laughs> comfort. All right. So what do you suggest for people who are a little bit scared of all this? Well, I say keep investing because I still believe in the positive future. Uh, America, I never bet against America. Look at Warren Buffett and, and all that he's done over the years. I still believe in growth stocks like Louis Navalier advocates. I have a 70% position in growth stocks. I, I fully own uh, my real estate and I believe in real estate. Um, and uh, also gold and silver with that 10% position, I mean, the experts say that I, at my age, I should be like mostly in bonds. I don't want to do that. I, I don't believe in that theory at all, because I believe I should invest in bonds when you have a stable currency, uh, not when you have inflation. So I don't have that much in bonds. So mm -hmm. I believe in 
growth stocks, stocks with income, and um, gold and silver and real estate. These are your classic inflation hedges. Oh, great advice. Okay. Well, Gary, it's really a pleasure to have you here on The Real Wealth Show. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Well, thank you for asking me. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can go to realwealthshow.com where you'll get access to hundreds of free webinars that will help you on your journey in investing in real estate. I'm Kathy Fetke, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.